Hey, on our podcast today, we're going to deal with the topic of the re-paganization of America, and we're answering this question, if the gods of old that were driven out by Jesus and the gospel and the power of the cross, if those gods were to re-enter Western civilization and America in particular, how would they do it? What would be their strategy, and what would those gods look like? We're going to introduce you today to what Jonathan Kahn calls the Dark Trinity. These are three demonic principalities that have been around since the very beginning, uh, and they will be eye-opening as we understand who they are and what they do. Uh, It's going to be eye-opening to see their impact in America today. You will not want to miss this podcast. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We are so jazzed that you guys are with us today as we continue uh, our quest for truth and Christian worldview and exalting Christ as Lord of all. And uh, if you've been watching or listening, we have been in a book by Jonathan Kahn called The Return of the Gods. And basically the book is... um, is trying to come up with some really good answers, and I believe it does. That's why we're talking about it, and really good answers for how we are living in the insanity that is America today. And just to, to uh, proof in point, just saw that California, which has been l- the national leader, I think, in insanity, political insanity mm-hmm. anyway, uh, just passed legislation that for all of the uh, illegal folks crossing the border because this administration fails to, to secure our borders. And it's at a record number now. And of course we have, you know, my, my son was looking today for ID. He starts, he starts school down uh, at college and he knows he's going to need his, his, his ID. And, um, and yet we've got like millions of people that have made their way to the border. They're crossing the border that don't require anything, but to, to, to add insult to injury, the state of California uh, is going to let these folks not only come into the state, but you ready for this? They're going to provide taxpayer-funded gender transition surgery and hormone treatment or whatever, the hormonal treatment that's needed to sustain all of all of the, the insanity at taxpayer expense. So, you know, you and I were saying, you'd think when people come to this country that their biggest need would be like, give me a house. Yeah. Shelter, <laughs> job, shelter, food, water. Yeah, basic necessities. Yeah. But, you know, bless their hearts. The politicians in California are thinking, no, they don't need food or shelter they need gender gender transition surgery. So again, the the point of saying all this is is not to mock the confused folks that are either on the receiving end or the, on the confused politicians. It's really a tragedy. Um, but the que- deeper question is, how have we become so brainwashed in America and in the West? That we actually think, number one, that this is a real thing, and number two, that the medical community would take this seriously, and number three, that we would actually abuse taxpayers by spending their hard-earned money to mutilate people's bodies who are, you know, experiencing gender dysphoria. I mean, how do do you get to this crazy, crazy place? And and that's been our quest because I've never read a book that explains at least from a a spiritual and biblical perspective like Jonathan Kahn's book does. Yeah, and and the premise is basically tying back to the parable that Jesus told of um, when you have cleaned out a house, um, you have delivered a demonic spirit, and the spirit wanders around in wilderness, yep. and after a while it's like, it's restless, so it goes back to the house, and it finds it empty and cleaned up. 
So he grabs seven of his friends and make it worse than ever before. Yep. And when 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 there's a perceived neutral ground in which there is no god of whatever principality, nation, that, that organization. That was the point you yep. brought out last week that I thought was so good was the house is clean and in order, which seems like that's a great condition to be mm-hmm. in, right? I wish, <laughs> raising yeah. all my kids, don't you wish you could have your house my clean, car was clean, clean order. and in order? Yeah. <laughs> so that's a good thing, and that's yeah. what actually happens, you know, in deliverances, the yeah. house is swept clean. But but you brought up a good point, the key word, unoccupied. Yeah. And that's why there's no such thing as neutrality. Some spirit is going to be taking possession of that house. Either it's the, the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, or it's going to be some demon spirit. Yeah. So there is no neutrality. You you either need to be full of the, of the Lord and full of the Holy Spirit and walking in truth, or you're going to open yourself up to demonic now, deception. Now, that happens on a personal basis, but it also happens for a nation. Yeah. Organization. That was, yeah. that was the striking concept. I had never, that was a paradigm shifter for me. And it was helpful. And, and so explain the basis for that, though, um, because the end of that verse gives us some indication as to why this could happen uh, to an entire generation. Right. And Jesus says, so it, so it would be so for this generation or something yeah. along that lines. Jesus was talking to a group of people. He was, the context was is with a group of people. Yeah, it, it, was, it was groups, culture, generation, not yeah. individual only, although it does have, obviously, individual application. The stunning point was, could a whole nation fall under a spirit of deception, uh, a demonic stronghold, a spirit of blindness? Uh, And we're going to get into that today. Just by way of review, you know, Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. What a great statement, flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world and against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so we highlighted, you know, with Christmas season and the incarnation and the coming of Jesus, the spread of the gospel, um, Jesus really came to do warfare, spiritual warfare, with the kingdom of darkness. And we talked about that, the gospel Everywhere it went and everywhere Jesus preached, you know, how many times was he in church, so to speak, in the synagogue, right? And a demonic spirit says, we know who you are. Um, You are the Holy One, the Son of God. So you see these demonic power encounters all throughout Jesus' ministry. He's preaching the gospel to the poor. He's healing the sick. He's casting out devils. I mean, everywhere he goes, it's, it's a demonic power encounter. Uh, with with the kingdom of God, and uh, and yet it seems like in the West, not only are we blind to this truth, you know, I was talking to somebody. We're of course in a twenty one day fast at Living Stones, and how many people have been raised in church cultures that you never talked about, uh, for instance, fasting, or you never talked about the Holy Spirit. And I talked, <laughs> excuse me, to another gentleman who said, you know, in all my years of being raised as a pastor's son in a Christian church, a Christian denomination, we never, ever, ever were aware of the demonic or spiritual warfare or any of these kind of concepts. And yet the Bible's clear right here. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against evil rulers that are uh, and authorities in the unseen world. So there's so much <clears throat> truth in the Bible that I think we've glazed over or just been unfamiliar with. And I think this whole notion of spiritual warfare is one of them. But that was the point of the New Testament is Jesus comes to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness. And so we talked about that and we talked about that Western civilization, uh, the whole notion of Western civilization being tied to the gospel. Um, 
we won. Jesus won. And, and basically, all these old pantheon of demons and false, false gods, false idols were defeated and driven out. And that was part of we've We've dealt with that in this podcast before. That, that win led to what we now call Western civilization and the, the blessing, the plus, uh, prosperity, <clears throat> the flourishing all came from the gospel. Yeah, the, the flourishing of science and technology, uh, we talked about this before, came from the foundations established by the biblical worldview. And that's, what, that's, that's the culmination of Western Civ. And we talk about that in the book, the book that changed the world. It lays out these pioneers of science and technology, innovation, and, and the sanctity of life. And what th- that led to prosperity the world has never seen before, development the world has never seen before. It wasn't perfect. There weren't perfect people. Right. Right. But it, it, was a, it was a sea change, and that came from the gospel. But what that opened the door was to, you know, once people got prosperous, once people got wealthy and rich, what they're open to is basically a sense of self-dependence and a sense of pride and a sense of like, hey, we don't really need God, yep. probably emotionally, and then lead to this door to like, well, technology basically has replaced God. And then now we're emptying that room. Now there's that room's unoccupied because we're removing vestiges and messaging of the one true God. Right. So, so for instance, in America, and we're going to get into this more in our next podcast, but in America, we didn't just go, hey, we reject you, God, and we embrace open demonic right, right. possession. It's too obvious. It's yeah, too obvious. Too so. obvious. But, but it was the rejection of God, and we're going to look at, at this in the, the life of Israel, the rejection of the one true God that literally left the house empty and basically said to the enemy, hey, the back door's open. Uh, and that's how Satan usually works anyway. He doesn't come plowing through the front door. Uh, he comes crawling through a window or comes in through the back door. But it comes from time, good times and prosperous times yeah. and, and, and times when we are we're self-dependent. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, uh, and Khan brings this up. He, he asks this question, if the gods were to return, if they were to re-enter Western Civ, how would they do it, and what gods would they be? And obviously, modern society requires a completely different approach than back in Israel or some of the ancient cultures. Um, and he brings out the point here that, that, and we have seen this in our culture today, the goal is not simply infiltration, but domination. You know, when you've watched some of these ideologies come in, they come in under, you know, just stop persecuting us, you know, where's the tolerance, et cetera, et cetera. They infiltrate. But once they get in and they establish a stronghold, uh, and we've seen this in can- cancel culture, you know, the goal is not just tolerance at that point, or hey, case or whatever it will be, will be. The goal is really domination. Like you're going to submit to this new ideology, this new orthodoxy, and if you don't, you're going to pay the price. And it's the same way as we see back in biblical times. And so the, the, the gods could only return if there had been a falling away from the Christian faith or a biblical worldview. And as we said, this is a process. We have watched this growing divide in American culture. Uh, I mean, it goes all the way back to the, the 50s. Um, and, uh, and he talks about the significance of the 60s and why the 60s were such a, a, a turbulent time, because basically it was a, a casting away of, of Judeo-Christian worldview, which again is, we talk about Western Civ, but Western Civ comes out of a Judeo-Christian worldview. 
you made the comment in, in college, you know, studying Latin, which I, I, hey, do you guys know that Andrew studied Latin in I, college? No, that wasn't college. That was high school. My wife studied Latin in college, so right. I still well, make hey, fun of her for it. Hey, that, that's, st- even, that's even more impressive. You studied, you studied Latin in high school. I had to take it. I didn't choose to. I had to take it. Yeah. I mean, your kids are going to probably be studying Latin in like uh, preschool. I, yeah, I, mean, you I know, don't I mean, know. I don't remember one word in Latin. <laughs> but, but you said it, gave, it, it was part of a, a, an I opening knew the understanding. very well. Okay. Yeah. I studied that a lot, yeah. And and we run into, of course, we talked about that in the whole New Testament, running into the whole Greek pantheon and Roman yeah. pantheon of gods, and that's yeah. what Paul and a lot of the disciples were encountering. Uh, but you made a point, it's a very dark... Very uh, dark. Uh, capricious <laughs> gods that are, have good qualities and then horrific qualities. Yeah. And You see people with... Good intention, the good things with tragic endings. You know, you see a lot of murder, a lot of parents killing kids and kids killing parents. Yeah, but, the, but your point being, these were not just, hey, let's just study Greek mythology. No, that was their worldview. I mean, that's what they worshipped. Yeah. That was the world in which they inhabited. And what a what an unpredictable, uh, scary, like you said, dark un, uh, uh, environment to yeah. And everybody attacks us talk about this in one of the books we, we, we said. Basically, a nation is really largely dictated by its mythology. Not mythology, like its epic stories, you know, whether it is, you know, George Washington crossing the... Delaware. Delaware. Or, come on. <laughs> come hey, on, yeah. Hey, you know, I got a point on that one. There you go. I would uh, not want to go against you, by the way, and like Jeopardy or something like that. No, I, actually, I, I don't know any would, trivia. I'm terrible at trivia. I don't know. Uh, I have some, yeah, I'm terrible anyway, at trivia. Anyway, I'm glad I got but, a point. Yeah, but... Um, but Delaware uh, for Delaware, right? All right. Um, but you know, like, our, what is our nation? At least it, it used to be. What are the stories that define our nations? Like just Jesus's parable, the Good Samaritan. Right. You know, the prodigal son. These do are things to others that, as you would have others do unto you. Exactly. You, you tell these stories, the general consciousness are can respond to it. They know when you say Good Samaritan, people know exactly what you mean by that. You know, they might not know the Bible, the verse. They might not even know Jesus said it, but the stories right. are so prevalent in our culture. Same thing with the prodigal son. Some of these historical stories. Your stories define your culture. That's what you look up to. That's what you look to for truth and how yep. we ought to do things. Moral compass. Yep. But you can imagine, like, if... if, if <laughs> Be like Zeus. Yeah. Oh, man. Or or Hercules, you know, he did all these things, and he ended up being... Because he murdered all these different people and did all these things, he became a god, and just, just like, cunning and just... It's really but, but a that's dark not world. Even, that's not even just limited to to the Greco-Roman world. I mean, yeah. when we've been to India, you know, and you look at the, pan, the pantheon of Indian gods and goddesses, which are in the millions, uh, and talk about dark and crazy and unpredictable. And that's why, again, people fall into superstition. They fall into idol worship, just to sacrifices to appease these gods. Yeah, and you know, you know, when you're offering these sacrifices, you're just hoping it works. You don't know yeah. that it's going to work. You, you're just hoping that it works. You, then you get into a lot of the African folklore and African culture too. It's the same thing. It's it's these regional spirits and trying not to offend them and trying to live in a way that you get their blessing. Uh, it, it's a it's a dark, depressing kind of kind of world, as you said, to operate in. Uh, and so when when the Bible comes along, or when God speaks and God calls Abraham, uh, and God starts to reveal, for instance, to to Abraham the the covenant, and then Moses comes along and God actually gives his people the law. So he's like, you're not going to be like the surrounding nations. I want you to be different. Yeah. I want, here, here's my truth. And in fact, the Bible says, what's Israel? What separates you from 
from all these other nations. Uh, it's the fact that my presence is with you and that I've actually taken the time to speak and to communicate my law. Why am I doing this? Because I'm trying to set you up to be the most blessed nation on the planet. He says, you're not the smartest, you're not the biggest, you're none of those things. But I called you because my desire was to glorify my great name through through revealing myself to you and through giving you my wisdom so that if you practice these things, I will prosper you. You'll be the head and not the tail, you know? All that prosperity that you talked about, God says, if you'll honor me, Israel, and you'll follow my covenant and you'll you'll be my, my, my covenant bride... Uh, I will prosper you like none other. And that's exactly what we saw, a nation that was in bondage for 400 years, absolutely broke, uh, and God delivers them out of Egypt, and and they come out literally robbing Israel of, I'm sorry, Egypt. robbing Egypt of all their wealth, not robbing, they handed it over to them, uh, plundering them is, I guess, a better word. And then you you see God taking this nation establishing them. And yet, as you go through the Old Testament, over and over again, you see this constant battle with with their nemesis. And we're going to get to that nemesis in just a moment. But I think the point he brings out is that the DNA of America is very similar to the DNA uh, of Israel. Uh, in fact, a lot of our founding fathers looked at America as, uh, as a or Israel as a picture of the American calling. We were to be a city on a hill. Uh, we were a covenant people um, there in, in, um, at, uh, uh, who was it? Not, I'm looking for the uh, uh, Winthrop. Yeah. John Winthrop, the Puritan, who uh, there in, in Plymouth Bay, he said, uh, if our hearts shall turn away, this was the warning that he gave, if our hearts shall turn away, that we will not obey, but shall be seduced and worship and serve other gods, uh, our pleasure and our profits and, uh, and serve them, we will surely perish. Uh, so he said, if we turn from God and if we are seduced the same way that Israel was seduced, we will uh, most certainly experience the same outcome. We're going to perish. That was a strong warning from a godly leader uh, that they were uh, literally make on the shores of Massachusetts Bay there. They were making a covenant with God um, uh, as they entered America. Um, so the, the connection between America and between Israel is a strong connection and a similar DNA that we have. Um, and so at that point, he introduces, talking about Jonathan Kahn, he introduces what he calls the Dark Trinity. What's the Dark Trinity, by, by way of overview? Yeah, I mean, it's basically, well, I wouldn't say it's the opposite of the Trinity because they're not right. on the same level. Right. But basically is is a pantheon of demonic, probably demonic spirits that has kind of plagued mankind for history. Yeah, and especially he's tying it particularly back to Israel, but it's broader than, than Israel alone. As you said, there are three predominant demonic principalities that were that we see all through the Old Testament, uh, and we see in all the nations that Israel encountered, uh, whether it's the Canaanite nations, the, the Sumerian nation, I mean, all these ancient civilizations, it's the same demonic principalities that he calls the Dark Trinity. And his point is this, Every nation, let's talk about Western civ, as we've rejected God, if the demon spirits were to come back in and literally deceive an entire culture, how would they do that? And who are these spirits? And how, how would we recognize them? These are, these are the questions that we're going yeah. to get into. So he uses the word, and I like this phrase, because it, it, we're seeing it all over America, the repaganization of America. 
what we're seeing happening in our culture today as we reject God, um, we're really going back to our pagan roots, um, uh, worshiping nature. You know, we have this big movement now to, to uh, you know, save the planet. Um, we, we talk about uh, nature worship in terms of um, uh, almost the, the climate uh, movement today, uh, the green movement, is really going back to worshiping the pagan gods behind nature or worshiping nature itself. Um, so he says, pagan spirits inhabit pagan vessels, pagan gods indwell pagan cultures. What would happen if the ancient pagan gods returned to a civilization based on a Judeo-Christian foundation, worldview, and moral framework? He says, what would happen is that their return would trigger a metamorphosis. The Christian or biblically-based culture would begin transforming into a pagan one. Christian values would be replaced with pagan values, Christian ethics with pagan ethics, and Christian worldview by a pagan worldview. We would witness the paganization of American civilization and the repaganization of the Western civilization. So again, this is exactly what we're seeing. If you reject the Judeo-Christian worldview, you're going to embrace all kinds of strange new cults. Um, uh, this whole feeling thing we talked about, where you're sitting here and you go, well, I know I'm a biological male, but I feel on the inside like I'm a woman, therefore I'm going to follow my feelings. A lot of this, again, comes from paganism. Uh, it's a rejection of, of objective truth, a rejection of the Judeo-Christian worldview, a rejection of God said, and it's a full embrace of whatever you think is right for you. Um, yeah, and that's, like we said before, that's a religious statement. It's a religious nature. It's not, you can't, a lot of times what we do is these, these are, a lot of these pagan thoughts are under the guise of uh, progressivism or um, science or pseudo-technology but, but they're all religious, religious in nature, as we're about to see right here. Yeah. So, again, this whole idea of rejecting of God to embrace a anti-God uh, is the point we're trying to make. And he introduces us to the first demonic spirit, and we're going to get into this more uh, next week as well. We're just kind of an introduction today, whom he calls the possessor. He was the king of the gods, the leader of the spirits, the chief enemy of God, the God of Israel. Uh, interesting here, the, he's the God of fertility. They called him the Lord of the rain. He rode on the clouds. He's the Lord of the storms. He's the one who hurled lightning bolts. He's the warrior. And because he's the warrior, that makes him uh, the, the, the top of the, uh, of the pantheon of gods. He is called Baal the chief god of the Canaanite pantheon, and his name means Lord, owner, and master. And if any of you are listening and have read your Old Testament, you realize that name rings a bell. We, we find the, the word Baal attached to all kinds of cities, all kinds of local deities. Uh, he mentions even people who had their personal Baals, their personal idols, family idols that they would worship. But you can see why this God would be so strong because it's attached to two things that are very, very powerful. Number one, our need to, to survive with food and our desire for sex. And so you see Baal and fertility, you know, the whole idea of fertility attached to all kinds of pagan worship. And Israel, when, when they call, were called out of Egypt, they ran into all of these other cultures surrounding them that were deeply entrenched with, with Baal worship. And so one of the first encounters we, we see is in Judges chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. 
The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and they served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt, and they went after other gods. And we talked about that phrase, other gods, a whole host of other uh, demonic spirits, worshiping the gods of the people around them. And it says they angered the Lord. So here God produces this incredible miracle, this incredible act of redemption, calls a nation out of another nation. This had never been done before. Uh, The most powerful nation on the planet at the time, Egypt, and God does, of course, the miracles we read about in the book of Exodus, um, sets the people free, blesses them with incredible wealth. They go from paupers to being princes literally overnight, Um, and yet God warned them, do not pick up the practices you know, of the people around you. And that's exactly what had happened. In fact, uh, you go to Judges chapter 3, verse 7, and it says this, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God, and they served images of Baal and Asherah poles. And so in this situation, God raised up Gideon to tear down the altars of Baal. And it says Gideon got a new name for himself in Judges chapter 6, verse 32, uh, from then on, Gideon was called Jerubbaal, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. When when uh, Gideon was attacked, the people said, we need to kill Gideon because he damaged the altars of Baal. Gideon's response was, if Baal's real, let Baal defend himself. Yeah. Uh, and basically, he trash-talked back and said, if he's, if, he's, if he's a real god, then he can he'll take me out. You don't have to let him defend himself. But we see this. He, he attacked the false idol worship, um, and God blessed Gideon, raised up Gideon, and used him as a deliverer. But it wasn't long after that, Judges chapter 8, this is the pattern we see over and over again. As soon as Gideon died, the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the images of Baal, and making Baal Barith their god. So again, we see the root Baal, and then we see all these attachments uh, on, depending on where the people were, you know, what city they were involved in Baal worship, whatever. But but you see this again. So you got a righteous guy raised up like Gideon. He goes on a war war path against Baal. God's behind it. Uh, and brings reformation and revival to the people, and the people repent of their sin, and they say, oh, God, we're going to worship you and you alone. And then all of a sudden, a righteous leader dies, and the people drift right back to the old ways. Over and, I, that, that, to me, is probably a description of most of the Old Testament. A righteous king, a wicked king. A reformer, uh, somebody that leads people back to evil and wickedness. And so another powerful example that comes... Uh, from Scripture uh, is, in the ninth century, uh, worship of Baal had made inroads into Israel's culture and state, and those who refused to join the Baal movement were persecuted, hunted down, and killed. And so now we read about Ahab, First Kings chapter 16. Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. Uh, And he did more, the Bible says, to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. And so the prophet God raised up during that time, of course, was Elijah. And in 1 Kings 18, we have this power encounter between uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal and Ahab being there as well. And it's interesting because if you remember, there was a massive uh, famine going on because uh, Elijah had prophesied no rain for yep. three years. So again, Baal is the god of fertility. Baal is the god, uh, who, the lord of the rain. And so you have a power encounter, 
a divine confrontation between Baal and God Almighty on Mount Carmel. And Elijah says, you know, there's 450 prophets of Baal compared to just him standing there. And he's trash talking them and he's mocking them. And he said, all right, you guys go first. You know, we got the sacrifice here. Let the one true God answer with fire. And of course, they're going through all their Baal worshiping rituals. Uh, nothing's happening. There, there is no God answering with fire. There's no God up there launching thunderbolts. There's not rain anywhere. And you remember, in a time of famine, when you've not had water for three years, the most precious commodity is water. And so what does the Lord lead Elijah to do? But he takes these giant containers of water and dumps them on the sacrifice to make it really, really wet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and again, people are probably looking at that going, what are you doing dumping water out? I mean, water would be like gold. And, uh, and then he says, let the, let the true God answer with fire. And of course, as the story goes, God answers with fire, consumes the, the complete sacrifice, the altar consumes everything. And then, uh, you know, uh, all the priests of Baal take off running and, and, uh, and then Elijah encounters Jezebel, right? And takes off, that's when he takes off running. Um, and, you know, it's a powerful, powerful story, but, but it highlights the, the, the spiritual battle that Israel was involved with with this whole uh, demonic principality. Right, and, it, and these demonic manifestations were so prevalent to the Israelites. Like these guys were not hiding behind science and technology. No. Um, those those uh, Baal worshipers or priests were cutting themselves yeah, screaming. Blood, the blood was flowing. Blood it was, was trying to get the attention. I mean, this was a regular worship session that they. I'm guessing that they do, um, and then they fully expected that fire would fall from heaven and ignite this thing. And maybe Baal has sounds like has some type of magical manifestations in these eras in the past. But in this particular case, God was illustrating a point to say, no, I am the true one God. But what the story tells me is it wasn't like, oh, our God can't, like the Baal Baal priest. They were expecting that to happen. I mean, demons have power. There are demonic manifestations. And I, I love in this situation, though, you look you look in the, the Hebrew text, and it's hilarious because basically Elijah's even going, hey, where is Baal? Oh, maybe he's going to the bathroom. Yeah. Maybe he's, a, maybe he's uh, tied up. He's preoccupied. I mean, yeah. he was on a roll. But can you imagine? I like to put myself in that situation. Oh, I mean, you're like, all right, Lord, it was... I'm sticking my neck out here. This would be a good time for you to re- respond. And, of course, God shows up with power. Um, it... it, it... Look, man, this scenario, if you look at through the lens of reality, it's extremely dark, extremely violent, extremely just like watching these guys do that. And then later, Elijah killed them all. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's, it's one of those things that we're not watching about eating popcorn. You're watching this and you're in tears and you're, uh, I mean, and then, and then Elijah prays for a ring, right? And he had to get in his like, Put his face between his leg, cry for seven times to look for the little cloud to right, come, right. and then and then even that he ran with supernatural power, right. like to and, to 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 beat the rain. And not to mention, this is real spiritual warfare. He battled depression. Oh yeah, um, and, and questioned his call and everything. I mean, yeah. this was a this was a demonic power encounter of you know uh, of, of a massive magnitude. This is here. a yeah. real deal, like serious stuff. I mean. 
So yeah, yeah. And, and again, we so but we see a great great breakthrough. Jehu yeah. comes and brings yeah. judgment on the entire house of uh, of Ahab and Jezebel, and and there's re- revival in the land. Uh, but then again, I, I go. I'm just fast forwarding here. You go to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's prophesying against Israel, and this is what he said. Here's what God has to say against His people: They have built pagan shrines to Baal. And there they burn their sons as sacrifices to Baal. I have never commanded such a horrible deed, and it has never even crossed my mind, God says, to command such a thing. So now in the worship of Baal, you have uh, Israeli parents taking their children and offering their children as living sacrifices to appease these demonic spirits. That, that This is the darkness of Baal worship. Uh, and so again, little little highlight here, what does that have to do with America? Well, we've got this, this whole abortion industry in America uh, that mirrors the demonic spirit. It doesn't look the same as it did back in Israel's day, um, but it mirrors that same spirit, that bloodthirsty spirit, uh, that is crying out for for worship and satisfaction, um, and so we'll get into that in weeks to come. Um, but again, I, as I you know, I did a study on Baal as I shared with you before I uh, came in here today and just looked at all the references in the Old Testament, and it's amazing that that is the one of the major principalities and powers that was used to seduce Israel time and time and time again and rob them of their d- divine destiny and purpose and keep them in the wilderness, so to speak, you know, for years and years and yep. years. And so uh, he says, Baal, uh, again, Jonathan Kahn, Baal, the embodiment of paganism. Baal was the other God, the substitute God, the instead of God. He was Israel's anti-God. So if Baal was the god of turning away or the god of falling, the apostasy god, what would happen if he returns to the modern world? What would happen if he came back to possess a nation or civilization? What would happen if Baal came to America? That's the question. And so as you understand, again, this principality, this anti-god, this deceiver, possessor, get your attention off of the one true god, get your attention over here uh, on the uh, the anti-god. Um, again, what does that look like in America? And I think we're seeing we've seen glimpses of that uh, as we've rejected God and we've we've opened the door to this host of other gods. But certainly, Baal, the possessor, is the lead one. And we're going to talk about you know in the next couple of weeks what that has looked like in American culture. Yeah, just another thought. You know, Baal yeah. is the god of prosperity. You know, and Jesus said yeah. it's very interesting. You know, Jesus said you cannot serve God in money. Yeah. And, and in many ways, you, if you serve prosperities, um, you will have it for a short amount of time, but you'll lose true prosperity. But yep. the gospel actually produces true prosperity. But the gospel comes by producing true prosperity, by you not pursuing prosperity, by pursuing his kingdom. Right, you which pursue then, God. Yep. The side effect is prosperity. Yep. And, and so this is even very interesting, even in America today, because you know one per- could easily say, me people, this is not controversial. One of the gods of America is money. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's prosperity. Yep. That's not even controversial today, right? Yep. So, so just even by that, it's there's a very obvious connection that right. they the talk, Baal has returned. They're an agricultural society, so obviously they talk about fertility. You got to have you got to have water. You got to have sun, and so they worship the sky god. You know, the the god that can produce water, the the sun god, the god that gives us the sun and helps. You know, all the, all that has to happen to grow crops. We saw this when when God basically took on all the deity of uh, of uh, Egypt. 
they had the sun god, the same gods, the gods that provided the fertility gods. The the Nile River was worshipped because because the river provided right uh, blessing, uh, and so God systematically took on every single one of these you know Egyptian deities and won, just destroyed them all, humiliated them all, and, and demonstrated his his the truth of who he was. And then, you, you know, what's fascinating from a worldview perspective is you go to the book of Deuteronomy, for instance, and God is basically laying out a covenant with Israel and telling them, you know, even in, in Deuteronomy, there's specific things like when you go to the bathroom, don't go to the bathroom in the camp, go outside the camp, dig a hole, bury your human waste. This was all incredible wisdom about prevention of disease and everything else. I mean, God was incredibly detailed about teaching his people how to be different and how to establish a culture where they could thrive. And so what's crazy is you think about being 400 years slaves, and then in a short amount of time, in a matter of generations, they're the most powerful, wealthy nation on planet Earth. How could that happen? It happened because of the wisdom of God and the blessing of God. Of course, the, the demonic spirits are going to want to say, no, 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 you can't trust God. Uh, God's not for you. Because what would happen when they would start drifting away? God would, God would bring uh, a curse on their, on their livestock, on their, on their fertility, on their flocks, on, uh, and basically to get their attention. But the devil would come in and say, you know, no, no, God does, God's not caring for you. Look, you need to go back to worshiping Baal. Baal's the one that will provide fertility and blessing and prosperity uh, and, and praying on the unbelief that was in their hearts instead of turning back to the living God. So um, I think you're right on. When you look at America, we, we're going to get into this. You even talk about a bull market. You know, the, the, the bull is the sign of Wall Street, right? Um, and we worship that bull. Um, but the bull was also a sign of Baal worship in the, old, in the Old Testament. So even some of our symbols are unmistakably pointing us back to uh, the spirit of Baal. It looks different now. Uh, it feels different now, but it's the same same demon. Eyes to see, have eyes to see. Oh, absolutely! And yeah. I, so I think you're going to enjoy as we get into uh, uh, this book, and especially as we make the connections between Israel and modern day America. The connections are stunning. In fact, one of the reviews at the front of that book said jaw jaw dropping. This book was jaw dropping. Yeah, it's been jaw dropping for me, especially the detail at which we find ourselves drifting today. So so for instance, just to summarize, if we if we understand spiritual warfare and we understand these major demonic principalities that have been prevalent in every ancient culture and civilization, and we realize the principle of rejecting God and filling that vacuum with something, it makes sense to see that over the last 50, 60 years in America, there's been this growing divide and growing rejection of God that we've seen in our public life. And it should not surprise us that we are literally reaping the whirlwind today of all kinds of perversion, things that just don't make any common sense at all. Uh, like just do a study of California politics and you'll go, what in the world are we thinking and what is happening in America? Um, this, I really believe, is going to shed a lot of light on it. So yeah. um, I just got one, one, yeah. one thought. You know, I'm, uh, This morning I got the privilege to meet with a few business owners. Uh, we're having our regular meeting and just to kind of talk about um, reminding ourselves that it's worship. When we go into work, when you interact with your employees or yeah. clients, it's worship. Just to remind ourselves. And I remember just even talking about all this, I'm reminded of uh, someone who has said to me, says, we're all 
as an owner, as a business owner, as a leader, as any type of influence, as a dad, for me, we're all led by some spirit. So this book makes it very, very practical. Yep. You have to ask yourself, what spirit are you being led by right now? There's no neutral ground. Right. We talk about that, right? If you're not led by the Holy Spirit, could you be led by the spirit of Baal? Now, I'm not saying you're a worshiper, you're like overtly, but they are, right. s- they are possessed, subtle, or whatever. possessed or whatever. Influenced. But are you influenced by, you know, a lot of times, are you influenced by the, this, this poverty, neediness, this, this, this fear, fear greed. or greed? Yep, or are you influenced by the Holy Spirit? And I think leaders and everybody, but particularly leaders in the marketplace, you have to ask yourself that question quite a bit in this decision. I know everyone else makes the same, would do this thing. I know everyone else will operate based on these principles. Yeah. I'm not saying those principles are also necessarily wrong, but you got to check your heart. What spirit are you influencing by right now? Just the spirit of selfishness. You know, look, look at the the mainstream uh, media and the commercials, the advertisements for so many products that are, that are all basically are like, hey, you de- you deserve this, uh, yeah. uh, you deserve to drive this car to be the best, you you deserve it your way, you know, even Burger King, <laughs> you know, uh, your way, make have this hamburger your way. Yeah. It's it's just subtle. It's around us all yeah. the time, but it, but there are spirits behind all these messages, and um, this is why I think the season that we're in now with with this twenty uh, one day fast, the whole idea is. Let's push away our flesh. Let's push away any kind of voice, any kind of insecurity, any kind of spirit that motivates us. We want to be motivated by the Holy Spirit. We want to be motivated by truth and righteousness, and we want to be led uh, and blessed by God Almighty uh, and not uh, by the counterfeit promises of this world. And so uh, we hope, again, this is helpful. Pick up a copy of Jonathan Kahn's book. I've talked to several of you. Say, hey, Pastor, we're following along. Man, the book's great, and the podcast has been great talking about it. Um, so join the, uh, join the join us on this journey. I think we're going to be here for, for a while. But it will be eye-opening, and I hope it helps you understand uh, how to fight the battles that we're fighting in our culture today. So thank you so much for tuning in. 